0: If you've ever been told not to be a stumbling block for men in the church, or told that your biggest aspiration in life should be to become somebody's wife, or even told that you are welcome here but only if you meet our standards, then this episode is for you. Let's make lemonade. get into today's topic, I really want to emphasize that the views discussed in this episode are my own personal views and not the views of any organization that I am affiliated with. However, I still feel that this is a very important topic to talk about and will be based on my own personal experiences as well as the research that I've done into this concept that I'll be talking about, and that is faith deconstruction. Now this is a buzzword going around in the faith community, deconstruction. What does that mean? So some people condemn it and think it is an attack on Christianity, and others probably don't even really understand what it is. So I want to first define that. A really well-known author, Rachel Held Evans, in her book, Searching for Sunday, which really changed my life and helped me conceptualize some of the questions that I wrestled with within my own faith. She defines on page 50 of that book, the deconstruction process as a, quote, massive inventory of your faith, tearing down every doctrine from the cupboard and turning each one over in your hand. So I love that that concept of kind of taking things down out of the foundation, looking at it, analyzing it, and seeing if it's useful and trustful and impactful for our lives and thinking, about how we want to, if we want to put it back in the cupboard, if we want to leave it out, and and so forth. Now, I want to, again, emphasize, too, that this is not an attack on faith. Deconstruction is not the same as disassociating from your faith. For me, I still have my faith. Rather, I have a new Idea of what that looks like for me and how my faith journey has evolved. The Sophia Society gives a little bit further into that analogy of that cupboard. They say think of it like an older house, not one that's completely dilapidated, but that definitely needs some fixing up. It has a good foundation and good bones, it just needs a bit of updating, but that requires money. Effort and time. It requires tearing out some walls, replacing broken cabinets, and perhaps updating the wiring or plumbing. But the cost and time it takes to update it are worth it because the house is worth saving and the final product will be even better than the original. Faith is much like that house. As we are growing older in society, is evolving and our cultures are shifting, the components of our faith grow as we grow. However, there are components of the faith community that haven't grown and evolved with us and that are particularly outdated as far as today's culture and today's world. I genuinely believe that a lot of the church has their heart in the right place but the church is sick, and I think that we need to reevaluate those components and get back to the heart of who Jesus is and the heart of those teachings to loving one another instead of condemning one another, and that's whatever side of the fence you are on. For me, this process of questioning my faith really began in recent years. I have recently discovered new resources such as Welcome to the Process, that is on Instagram, and um, the New Vangelicals podcast. Those really helped me, along with Searching for Sunday by Rachel Held Evans, understand that I'm not the only one feeling this. I'm not the only one thinking, this feels wrong. The things that we're focused on and condemning others for feels wrong, and I want to get back to the heart of who Jesus is and Less about the religion and the following the rules and pointing the finger and wagging that finger at someone else, and more of the unity and loving one another the way that Christ loves us. But for me, that really hasn't been a majority of my experience in the church. At a young age, I grew up in a Methodist faith, then we went to a Baptist church, We kind of church hopped for a little bit, and then we landed in a Pentecostal church. Now, what I will describe is that there are a lot of good people in this church with great hearts. Some of them I still talk to and have relationships today. But there are a lot of poor things that happened when I was in that church. So for me, to give one example that still sits with me today... So if you're familiar with the Pentecostal faith, they are very stringent as far as the standards that they have set because they want to not be like the world is kind of the the message invoked. So how they do that is they dress conservatively, they try to live through modesty, but unfortunately a lot of those rules around modesty are put on women alone. So, for example, as a child, in the last episode, I talked about how I really struggled with abuse in my home at a young age. For me, my faith was an escape. I loved, as well, worship music, singing. That was my outlet to get away from the things that I was going through in my home. So, for me, when I went to church... That was supposed to be my safe haven. But in this particular church, I was told at the age of 11 that I wasn't holy enough to be up on the stage singing and doing the worshiping that I felt so drawn to and the way that I really practiced my faith. I was told I was not holy enough to be on the stage with the other individuals that could lead in the worship team. Now, I was about 11, 12 years old. So what at that time made me not holy enough to be on the stage was the fact that I wore pants to school. Yes, you heard that correctly. Because I wore pants to school, I was not holy enough or good enough to be on the stage singing with my peers and praising the Lord. Now you say that to a 12-year-old who already is in an abusive home where they don't feel like they're good enough. And so they go to church looking for that outlet, looking to finally be good enough. And you're still told, nope, you're not good enough. You don't meet the standards. Now, (laughs) even though I was in a tricky situation in my home, my parents fiercely tried to fight against that with scripture. I mean let the children come to me, right? That that didn't do anything. The leadership still would not budge. And that always sat with me, that I still wasn't even good enough for God. That's the message that sat with me. And that is where I continued to wrestle with my faith and get into this almost just pushing and pushing and chasing and chasing, trying to be good enough. But what it was is I wasn't, Trying to be good enough for the Lord because I already was. I was trying to be good enough for these people who had put themselves in the position of power to act as if they're the ones that can determine who is worthy enough. And that is not okay. Now, as I gained, I got older in that church. When my parents ended up divorcing, we were basically cast out of that church. By we, though, I mean mostly one of my parents in particular. So it was almost like a house divided. And you would think in that moment that the church would wrap around a family going through a bankruptcy, going through really hard times. But it wasn't that way. It was condemning because there was a divorce happening, which is a big no-no. It was condemning for some of the other things going on instead of Wrapping around and supporting that person and showing them unconditional love the way that Christ does. That is not what we were shown. Now, for a period of time, going back to that example that I gave with the wearing pants to school. So in this faith, women are to wear skirts that are below the knees. They are not to wear makeup. They are not to cut their hair. They are to live modestly. Is how they define that. Now for that period of time when I really really wanted to be on the worship team and be on the stage, I ended up growing my hair out and wearing the skirts and trying to fit those standards. And then I still was kept from really being on the stage and doing what I wanted to do and loving the Lord the way that I wanted to because of the fact that I wasn't, I still wasn't in the in crowd. So there was definitely clicks going on in that setting where individuals who were a part of the original families in the church, it's almost kind of like the mafia now that I think about it out loud. But the original families, those people were the ones that got to be on the stage, got all the opportunities, got to feel connected and at home. And those of us on the outside, Tried so hard to fit into that circle and made ourselves so depressed and so sad trying to meet those standards when we weren't ever going to be good enough for those people. And what I needed to realize and what I do realize today is that I was always good enough for the person or the being that I needed to be good enough for. And that's Jesus. I've always been good enough. But for those people, I wasn't. And that that's Okay. Now beyond even my own experiences in the church I also notice and notice more so as an adult as I think back on these memories the absolute hypocrisy that I saw of we want to live this modest life and that's what we're taught to do but we're going to wear Gucci belts and we're going to drive brand new cars funded by the church and wear Louis Vuitton, and go on all these lavish vacations. And these are people that are in leadership. And so for me, it's, this doesn't add up. This doesn't feel right. When people in your own community, like my family, are going through a bankruptcy, you're going to do those fancy things and take care of you and yours as a leader in the church, but you're not going to take care of your people And living modestly is not just wearing the long skirts and growing out your hair for women. It's giving the shirt off your back. The way that Christ lived simplistically and for others, that's living modestly. That's living Christ-like and not worldly and self-centered or worried about you and yours. That's worrying about the man next to you and what they're going through and being willing to Give your last dime for them. But that wasn't the the way that people acted in the church. It was take care of the leadership people in the church while the people in the church struggled themselves and there to just pray more about it in order to get solutions. Pray more, tithe more. That doesn't help people who are really going through the heat of something like that. And more so, we need to be a community that, like I mentioned earlier with the divorce example and how we were kind of cast out there, we need to wrap our arms around people. Now, like I mentioned earlier, deconstruction is not a faith death sentence or anything along those lines. It is more so understanding how we can be better. Because the way that faith is practiced and evolved over time. I mean, it's its definitely different from even back from the days that Jesus was walking this earth. And it grew and evolved with time. And now we need to continue to question and evaluate that to make sure that we're staying in the heart of Jesus teaching and not man-made teaching and the way that men have twisted the rules and those in positions of power have taken those narratives to push their agendas, which very much does happen. And when the response is a dismissive, just pray about it, or so forth, that that's defined as spiritual bypassing where you have that kind of flippant response to avoid getting down into the nitty-gritty, uncomfortable space with people. It's easier to say, oh, I'll pray for you, or just pray about it, or you should tithe more, and the Lord will bless you in return. It's easier to say those things than to sit down with someone and be in that painful, uncomfortable space. To me, it's almost like the example of sympathy versus empathy, where you can sympathize with someone and say, man, that must really suck. Or you can empathize with them, get down into the, the the cave that they're in of pain or whatever it may be that they're experiencing and say, man, this, I feel this with you. I can't imagine what you're going through, but I'm going to be here and I'm going to sit in this uncomfortable space with you. And when we spiritually bypass that's when we miss the mark. Now that's not to say that prayer can't be a powerful thing. It can be and it is. That's not to say that tithing and giving to the church isn't something that can be important to people. But it's also to say that we should be willing to get in that uncomfortable space with people and not just say, I'll pray for you, but say, hey, what do you need from me right now beyond that? What can I do for you? What can I give to you? Even if it's an inconvenience to me, um, even if it's uncomfortable for me, how can I show up for you? That's that's the true heart of Christ being exemplified in your actions. That's walking the walk and talking the talk. I say all that to say as well, that I know that there are a lot of good people out there in the faith community that are getting this right. There are people out there that are trying to overcome those negative, harmful stereotypes of Christianity and truly show other people the love of Christ. But I say that as well, not as an excuse of, well, not all Christians are bad, because that is not the point. When we see people using our faith or our religion to condemn other people and using it as a weapon, we should be holding them accountable and saying that is not right. Because if we continue to turn a blind eye and we don't do anything about it and say, well, that's just those bad people over there, that's not us, then we're just as guilty as they are. We're just as bad as they are. The longer we continue to allow our religion to infringe upon other people's rights, to harm other people, the longer we allow that, the sooner we're going to see the church continue to have people run away in droves. When we see the church, when we're driving down the road, you see a church, that should be a place that people look on, and they feel comfort. But that's not the case for a lot of people. People see the church and they feel fear. They feel anxiety. Like me, they have memories of being told you're not good enough. And that's not okay. And that's the whole point of deconstructing faith. To reconceptualize, to take down and take out those rotten pieces within the doctrination that we've been taught, and to get to the heart of who Jesus is. I will be continuing this series. The next episode will be with an individual named April. She and I will be talking further about deconstructing faith and her journey. In part three of this religious trauma series, I'll also be talking about purity culture and spiritual bypassing further with the Welcome to the Process page. Now, the five songs to wrap up this episode. Number one is Bethlehem by Semler. So this is from Grace Semler Baldridge's album Preacher's Kid. And that album discusses the struggles of growing up queer in the faith community. And this song, specifically Bethlehem, is through that lens and almost a critique of growing up in the faith and the struggles and questions she experienced. Number two, Forgiven by Alanis Morissette. So this song is all about wrestling with one's faith, specifically from the lens of growing up in the Catholic Church. Now, I'm not Catholic, but the lyrics in this song really still resonate with me. And my favorite line is when she sings, I confessed my darkest deeds to an envious man. My brothers, they never went blind for what they did, but I may as well have. In the name of the father, the skeptic, and the son. Ugh, man, that song is so powerful. Next one is Do Something by Matthew West. This song for me is all about instead of sitting back and watching the world eat itself alive, doing something about it in the name of Christ, doing something about it in the way that Jesus would instead of sitting back and waiting for someone else to fix the problem. Number four, The Motions by Matthew West. This song I listened to a lot in college when I began to wrestle with my faith and feeling this gnawing pain of i don't want to keep going through the motions of life i want to have deeper meaning with my faith still but i don't i don't know how to get past some of these struggles that i'm feeling and going through the motions and feeling like i'm on this hamster wheel and really wanting to feel the power of christ so that song just really gets me emotional lastly Waymaker by Leland. This song gives me such a Jesus high whenever I listen to it. It just is so powerful and makes me feel so connected to the Holy Spirit. Well, I hope this episode has been a good kickstart to this series and a good thing for you to think about as we dive deeper into these concepts please feel free to DM me or email me. Everything is connected through the website here. There is also a link in the notes for this episode to the Sophia Society website that discusses further um, the definitions to faith deconstruction and that analogy that I've given. And I'll also include a link if you want to purchase the um, Searching for Sunday book. Now, um, uh, as in other episodes, these are just resources that have worked for me These are not resources that I am sponsored by in any way. I hope you have a great rest of your week and I look forward to making lemonade with you next time.